I think the most important thing about the Michelin star was not as much the fact that I got it, but that my mom was able to be there when I got handed my Michelin star. Amazing. She ended up passing away like three months after. So um, to have her be able to have Danielle actually was there and like tell her, you know, how proud he was of her son and of her and both her son because my brother is my partner at Sushi Naz and I think he might be one of the youngest Michelin star recipients ever. He was 24 when he got the Michelin star or 25 um, and, uh, I remember that day I got to shake Thomas Keller's hand. I got to shake Jose Andres's hand. I got to shake all these crazy people's hands and just like be in a room and like have my name up there with like some of my idols. And, uh, that was obviously a life career defining moment. I, I remember my girlfriend picked me up in the airport. I couldn't invite her to the dinner cause I had like only limited amount of tickets to, to invite people. And she picked me up from the airport with like nice, like michelin man sign and nice like, it was it was really special and i i uh i still to this day cherish that but it was really cool and it was really inspiring but when you get the taste of one michelin star it makes you even want more Oh, we're, we're oh, ready. We're ready. You're, so you're, all, you're live and in demand. This is happening. Welcome to Bang Gong Podcast. I'm Nick Jimenez, and I'm joined by eighth grade basketball MVP. That's what I'm talking about. Michael Beltran. No, that's what the fuck I'm talking and about. And this episode's guest, restaurateur David Fouquier. Welcome to our last guest of 2020. Yeah, man. You're the last what one. What an honor. Wow. What a way to cap it off, Nick. Nice yeah, work. There you go. Nice work. Thanks to Carluba. Carluba was the he, he set this up. Oh, the Luba. The Luba, Luba did this. This is the Luba special. The, Lu, the He's Luba. He's not Luba. even here to get lubed up. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to keep the plane on track here. So you know, this is where I step away. Yeah. All right, Nick. See you later. Goodbye. Man, we've known each other for a while now. It's been a minute. I know, and it's uh, I, I have to say that Fuchs is, was always a place that I enjoyed going to. For the last, how long has it been open now? Six years. Six years, man. That is, in restaurant years, that's like seven years a year. Dude, I right? feel like a dog. I know. I it's feel like six times seven. No, my restaurant's 42. Yeah, like area turns five in January, and I'm just like, fuck, it's only been yeah. five years? Like, yeah. fuck me sideways, dude. Big time. Thanks for being on the show. Honor, honor. Um, I don't know where we should start. I think it's a good place to start uh, talking a little bit about uh, what inspired the opening of Fuchs to begin with. And let's talk, because we have people that aren't actually from here that listen yeah. to this crazy shit. So um, Fuchs is in a small uh, corner of downtown Miami that no one would expect anything other than strip clubs and bars to be in. Yes. Uh, and so to find a nice dining establishment in that area, uh, for some people we be like, what? Whoa, that's weird. But I always very much enjoyed it. So and I, and I know a lot of other people did. So what inspired the the thought process there? I grew up in New York City, uh, full blown Manhattan kid, born and raised. So you get you kind of get exposed to a lot of shit in the city that you maybe don't get exposed to living in other places. And uh, I remember having you know very distinct memories as a 10, 12 year old going out to eat with my parents and. You know, having them take me out to like the cool, trendy places that were popping off downtown in Chelsea in the meatpacking district at the time, and as well as you know, 
re- neighborhood restaurants that were being run by really cool self you know sole proprietors that were kind of the the guys that ran the show right which was like a very old school restaurant thing when you actually had a restaurant where the owner was actually on the floor you know weird and shake your hand weird pour your wine and ask <laughs> you how you're doing it's a little thing called hospitality weird very bizarre uh, in this age of digital uh, third-party delivery systems and yeah. corporate chains but uh, I got really inspired by that and I thought that it was a lifestyle that seemed at the time as a 12-year-old vaguely, naively, really cool. Mm. And I was always kind of a host and a party thrower from my youngest ages. And my family were always kind of like the family whose house had the open door for all the homies. And we had a, a Persian and French household. So, you know, the French side of it was very, uh, you know, food-oriented, right. making sure that every every dish that we ate, every piece of food on the plate was always delicious mm. and then the persian hospitality is you know as as open-armed and as as kind of just homey as it gets mm. and uh i used to have you know 20 30 people family get togethers multiple times a week at the house and it kind of taught me how to be a host and how to make sure that you're always prepared for people coming in the door and that even if you weren't prepared you made it work and that there was always extra food on the table and that that you know it was always a kind of a place that all the homies were excited to come hang out at right. and that was uh from a young age i remember i had some couple of my best friends when we were like 13 i, I have a remember this distinct memory of like getting in a taxi cab with them one day leaving school and like one of them telling me like david you're gonna own a restaurant one day i don't know how that came up or, or he cursed or, you it's, it's, she cursed me yeah she, she cursed she cursed you welcome yeah big time <laughs> and uh and then you know i kind of just i like, got it in my head and then in senior year in my high school uh we were we had a really liberal like chill high school where senior year for the last three months you basically got to just pick like a project and throw yourselves into your senior project rather than have to go to math class and whatever else there was uh and i i happened to pick cooking so I picked a cooking school at the time. I think it was like the Institute of Culinary Education in New York that offered like basic knife skills classes, basic French technique, basic Italian food. And, and it was like a two month or three month intensive kind of every day going to learn the basics. And when I finished those three months, I remember you know making dinner for my teacher. It was, you know, I had to prove the concept that I, I learned what I did. And she was impressed and I was impressed and I was like, oh, you know, maybe there's something to this whole cooking thing. And I had it in the back of my mind. And then that that fall, I moved down to University of Miami, which is where I started my education. And obviously getting to Miami as an 18 year old from the Northeast. Welcome. You know, it was uh, party time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much I how much time I spent at school or yeah. if I was there, I was at the pool. Yeah, nice. Doing what I had to do at the yeah. UM pool and uh, hanging out on South Beach and getting involved with promoting and becoming friends with the local restaurant owners and asking questions and always just being curious about, you know, how and why and, you know, where and when and all the questions that you should never ask, but, you know, couldn't help but asking. Right. And uh, that summer when I, when I was going home and I needed to get a job for the summer, uh, I kind of was naturally inclined to try to get a job in the restaurant business. And my mom and my dad came to America as immigrants in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, at the same time as a certain chef Close. by the... Yvonne, can you tell her to fire me another Negroni? <laughs> 
Thank you. With a certain chef by the name of Danielle Ballou. Yeah, I know and that. They were, uh, they were, they were. He was basically like closest family friend, mentor for us growing up. We would do family Thanksgiving dinners together, and uh, he gave me like my first chef's jacket for my bar mitzvah when I was thirteen, and made a That's speech cool. that he was going to eat at my restaurant one day, and I had no fucking idea that that was going to turn into reality, but. I remember calling him up and I told him, I'm like, listen, Danielle, I really want to work in the restaurant business. I don't know why, but I do. And I think I'd be good at it. But my parents told me I could do anything but the restaurant business. <laughs> so he told me, he said, David, uh, tell them to meet me at DBGB's in two hours. Right. And I took my mom and dad. I'm like, guys, uh, certain someone wants to talk to you. And he sat us down and he basically told them, listen, you know, your, your kid's not crazy. This is a business that's actually becoming a little bit different than what it was historically. And Miami is a great city for the business. It's a great hospitality town where people have, uh, you know, this culture engraved of hospitality that I think he'd be able to succeed at. And so they gave me the thumbs up and I, he set up like a three month stage for me, essentially tossing me uh, in every level of the restaurant that he owned at the time mm. so I got to spend a little time in the front of the house learning from the managers and the captains and spend some time in the back of house you know peeling shrimp and cool. watching and getting yelled at for even touching or looking at something don't stand that way yeah. don't look at me <laughs> turn away literally yeah every day I know it and it was cool man it was cool I got to lace up and wear some Crocs and cry myself to sleep at night because I got bitched <laughs> at by some angry Frenchman <laughs> And uh, learn, like, the inequalities and <laughs> all the things that are fucked with this business. But I very quickly uh, brought that with me in, into my sophomore year in college where I, I was starting to realize that I had to get my shit together a little bit and that class was really a thing. Yeah, you and actually I, had to uh, attend. I had to class. attend. Yeah. So I can say I was academic probation, you know. The, oh, the I lived yards. in academic probation in college. So I... Uh, I found a way. I was like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I found a way. And halfway through my sophomore year, I realized that, you know, as much as I was a hurricane and bled green and orange and, and loved the University of Miami and everything that it represented, it just wasn't offering me. Uh, you want anything else, Dave? Yeah, I'll do a, I'll do a Johnny Walker ginger ale. Ooh, Johnny Walker ginger ale. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the ease, ease of the problems. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what such a simple, me, such a simple man. You reminded me of some fucked up times. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Had That's to, what I'm here for. Yeah. So I, I had to figure out a way to to make it work, and I knew that it wasn't going to be studying international relations and political science. And Isn't that, that so fucked though? Like you go to college. I mean, I I went to I changed my major like three times, and the whole time I knew because I had worked in restaurants already for like three years in college, I was like, I don't want to do any of this shit. The only thing I like is working in that shitty restaurant that I worked in. Isn't that wild? And you still go through the system. You go through the system. Right? And you still do it, and it's like, fuck, why? Like, How old are you now? 35. Okay. Yeah, and, it's, older than me. and it's just like, you think about it, when, when I look back on it, I'm like, why the fuck did I do that? I mean, I did it because... I wanted to play football. Right. You know, like I didn't, I didn't care about I anything else. I see your else. pictures. You were yeah, a beast. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't care about anything else. I was a kid and, but you still just, you went to class and yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to be a criminology major. Like for what? For what? what are you going to do with that? Nobody's really actually ever becomes a criminology. <laughs> <anything>. <laughs> 
Right. Only the people on Law and Order. And yeah. I don't, and, uh, or, uh, Horatio Kane. <laughs> right. So and I, we yeah, I just, got our man. And we, <laughs> can we insert the the small... The dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I, I fuck it up every time, but it's true. We should just insert it. We'll get a cease and desist later. We're small potatoes. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, sorry, continue. So yeah, I ended up uh, realizing that I had to switch it up. There was going to be any shot of me finishing four years of anything. So I uh, found the hospitality program at FIU, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, Big ups to FIU. They gave us almost 10 grand in uh, hospitality industry relief money to take care of my staff this year. They actually did the same for me after some uh, rocky start, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I have to say, uh, I guess being one of their start alumni who like goes there and teaches classes and stuff, I, I was able to get preferential treatment. And I'll I tell pro- you, I'll tell you a little story. And the the only reason why I'll I'll tell you is because it's you and whatever. But um, so I at the beginning of the pandemic, I was obviously like grasping at all straws to try to figure out like how the fuck are we gonna like get through this? Yeah, and, you like you know, both. there's no sign of government help yet there's what are we gonna do so i started picking on people right and i picked on lee schrager oh yeah not a good guy to pick on actually i'm totally okay with picking on him and i'll do it again um and and i i i he's a nice guy sure only Uh, ever been nothing but good to me yeah i mean he's he's fine i guess i i i feel like um myself and some other people that were on that kind of like tangent those couple days on Twitter really yeah. lit a fire under everyone's ass to realize, like, hey, you guys have the money um, and have been doing very well using a lot of our resources for a very long time, and it's time for, for us to get some help. And uh, I do give them credit that they did, they did answer the call, uh, and they did very well, and I thank them for that profusely. I just – I hope – and I don't know, and I wouldn't speak for anyone, but I hope they would have done it without us, uh, myself, and a couple, a few other people really lighting that fire those couple days. Well, I'm glad you did it, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it wasn't just me. There were several people, but it's like I just hope they would have done it without us. You know, and, and I, I don't know the answer to that question, and I, I probably never will because we'll never get an a- actual answer. But um, maybe we can ask Lee to be on the show. Maybe. Nick's uh, Nick's doesn't want to be a part of this podcast today, so it's fine. Um, but sorry, I mean, yeah, it was uh, FIU. Definitely, you're, like you said, we've definitely given the we've definitely all given the festival our our you know heart and soul and a lot of our dollars. And you know, every year you you do what you got to do for these people, so it makes sense they hook you back up. But FIU always was really good to me, and uh, they gave me an opportunity to study what I loved. Yeah. And get access to really high quality professors. And at the end of the day, you know, if you don't go to Lausanne or to Cornell Hospitality, you know, we're probably FIU is probably the next best thing you can get. So, I mean, isn't it isn't it known as the number one hospitality school in the country? Or after after Ithaca, after Cornell. Oh yeah, yeah, after Cornell. Okay. But um, other than that, yeah, we're. I think at this point, our resources. You know, we got the chaplains and Southern Southern Hospital. Uh, Southern Wine and Spirits, who obviously donate a bunch of money to the school and make sure that we have great facilities, we have great professors. I, I got really lucky and got to have one of the original founders of Burger King as one of my restaurant development teachers who had been at the school for like 40 years. The guy was a mm. dinosaur. 
And I got to have some really killer wine guys who essentially put me through sommelier training. I ended up with a beverage minor and basically took the sommelier exam in college and learned everything about spirits and wine and beer making. And as a 23-year-old, I definitely felt like I came out of there with a lot. Right. And uh, set me on my way to working in the restaurant business. I, I tried to continue my studies since I didn't really go abroad during college. And I'd seen a lot of my buddies that were doing that and going to study in cool places like Israel and France and Italy. But were they really studying? How to have fun. Yeah, there you go. I remember seeing that too and I was just like, man, I don't have money for that. But that does look fucking fun. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it was It was definitely it made me envious. Yeah. So when I finished, I kind of told my dad, I was like, listen, dad, you know, I don't really care about a graduation present. Just if anything, you know, help me be able to go abroad and give me an opportunity to go learn how to cook more mm. and he found or hell i found the program in spain at hoffman cooking school which is a, a cooking school in barcelona that had a michelin star restaurant attached to it where basically the kids would alternate their time between school and the kitchen and mm. they would be directed by former michelin star cdc's execs and sues uh, and would basically run a lunch and dinner operation where the first year would run lunch and the second year would run dinner and then they would host stagiaires who wanted to come for three, six, eight, nine month periods right. but not be enrolled in the school. And since I already had my diploma, you know, studying was more was pointless. So it was just about going there and getting an opportunity to basically learn from, you know, learn fine dining from the pros. Mm. And it was a really cool crash course. I was there for three months learning how to cook and, Know, learning all the real ins and outs of classical French and classical Spanish dining. Um, and that was really cool. I was going, anytime I had uh, a minute, I was going around the city trying any place that I could, loading up my camera roll with pictures of everything from silverware to napkins and table runners and chairs and bathroom Isn't it sinks. Crazy? And I, when I go to restaurants, like I, I'm this guy. Like I look around and I get the plate and I'm just like, Oh man, that's, oh, I've never heard of that. It's just like, oh, the silverware. Like, what the fuck is this? It's just, it becomes like part of the thing that you do when you, as soon as you sit down, you start to digest the whole restaurant and like, oh, that's nice. I never thought about that. I was like, oh, this glass. I've never seen this before. This plate. Like, uh, I ate at uh, a whole lot of plagiarism in this business. I, whatever, man. <laughs> like, you know, so yeah, people have good ideas and you're just like, where did you get this fucking plate from? Like, fuck. Yeah. So the other day I dined at um, uh, Robichon, the one downstairs. Chardinier. Yeah, and I thought it was fantastic. Really good. Yeah, extremely good. But all the plates were beautiful. Oh, yeah. All of them. They're like a brand called Nico, which I had never seen before. Probably quite pricey. <laughs> That's to say the least, yeah. 75 bucks a plate. <laughs> yeah, you know, I and I thought I would – I remember when I started this thing five years ago, I was like, I'll never I'll never do that. Fuck. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have a couple plates. We have a couple bowls now that are like 60 bucks each. Oh, my God. And we have a couple plates that are like 130 bucks each. Now they stay in my office only right. for tastings, yeah. but they are—they're beautiful. Right. You know, it just becomes part of the artistry, I guess. Yeah, man, that's part of like you know. There's obviously at our level, uh, Fuchs Ariette, which I consider you know casual fine dining, mm -hmm. which is we're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. If you break some, if you break a plate, you know, I don't want you to feel like shit about it. Right. Uh, if my dishwasher breaks a plate. I don't want him to feel like shit about it. Um, but you know, I think, it is. I think the the best way to explain casual fine dining is like. People can come in here in jeans and a t-shirt, right? And have a duck a la press. Right. Like, there's it's no... Coffee A101. 
Right. I, I don't want them to feel like don't. I don't need you to be in a three piece suit. It's cool if you come in one. I totally. I'm totally okay with that. But if you come in jeans and a t shirt, because that's usually how I dine too. Like, I don't think less of you. So, to me, that's what casual fine dining really means. Is like you're getting all of the perks, not necessarily the price point though. Um, but your your experience is something more than just like a regu- regular like casual Elevated. experience. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. And Barcelona for me was a really cool, eye-opening experience. At the time, modernist cuisine was really making a big push out there. Uh, you know, I learned the art of sous vide and oh, the, yeah. the, the use of tweezers and the idea of manipulating food in ways that we didn't make it something that didn't really wasn't really what it was, but made you think it was something. And, and I, I remember, you know, running, you know, running back every day and just like being mind blown. It's like every day was like an acid trip. Like I just learned something new, you know, every day. I was like, well, and uh, I ended up buying a set of shoe knives at the Boqueria because I uh, like maybe like two weeks after getting there, I was like bumming people's knives and shit. And it's just not kosher to do that in the kitchen. It's not. And then I showed up. That's like, not OK. With like expensive ass knives felt even like a bigger idiot. Cause, you know, like what are you going to do with a bunch of fucking expensive knives? They're going to fucking get stolen or break in a kitchen. Right. Uh, but I remember, you know, like first two weeks just left sliced and diced. My hands were just like all chopped up. Feel gratified, I feel. Hey, that's how the knife lets you know that it's right. yours, you know? You got to leave your blood on it. And if it doesn't draw blood, it ain't yours. That's right. And uh, and I remember one day I was uh, filleting, I don't know if it was like a whole monkfish or some kind of... Ooh, I love monkfish. Yeah, some kind of cod or monkfish situation. And I was like on the fish butcher duty that day. And I was just having so much fun. Like, it was so therapeutic to just like slice away at this fish and just like not fuck it up or fuck it up but just know that like I just broke down a fish right something I'd never done before and uh and I remember leaving that day and I was like damn you know how am I gonna learn how to do this better right and uh my first thought I had always been a big Japan head yeah I'd always loved sushi and I I remember at the time, you know, having watched the Jiro Dreams of Sushi movie. Oh, what a movie. I've seen it at least 20 times. Peter Berg, what a legend. That was like the predecessor to Chef's Table. Yeah. Um, It did did set the tone for what food television should be. Really did. Right. It was phenomenal. That was a a game changer movie. And honestly, every time I see it, I feel like it's the first time. Right? It still holds up. It's just, it, I feel like it's the first time. I feel as inspired as I did the first time. And I can't say the same thing about the chef's table stuff because there's some chefs I just don't connect with. Right. But It's here, also become a little just like overdone. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know if it's that's. Like McDonald's I, now. They just I, have I don't know. Online. I don't know if that's the case. Just people want it so bad yeah. that they just want to turn it out. And it's like that first season of chef's table was so dramatic yeah. and so intense that you loved it yeah that francis moment oh uh, yeah francis is a legend as good as it gets yeah um the hero dreams of sushi is it's just about like one man and his mission and how simple the mission may be but that sim that simplicity is so difficult and that's really what makes that style of cuisine so special and that's what I tell people. And they're just like, yeah, we're going to open up a sushi restaurant. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not. 
going to open a sushi restaurant. You're going to open up an American sushi restaurant. You're going to open up uh, what you think a sushi restaurant is, but it's not real sushi. No. You know, it's just, and that's when, when you lose people, you 100%. know, it, it's, uh, I mean, listen, it's hard to, it's hard to like grasp obviously what it takes. It's like, like you said, like the tension is in this, is in the simplicity and the right. details and that, that movie, I remember, you know, I, I remember telling my dad, I'm like, dad is like, I was like, I don't want this to end. I just had the best three months of my life. How, how can I continue this and learn a, a whole, maybe visit a whole other part of the world and, and. I found this sushi academy in Tokyo. Cool. That was basically like a two-month program to become like a certified sushi chef, whatever that means. Um, where you basically spend like 10 hours a day in a half Japanese, half international class with real Japanese sushi masters, teaching you the basics all the way to, you know, breaking down every different kind of fish that's traditionally used in Japanese cuisine. And you learn how to make nigiri, you learn how to make maki, you learn the whole nine yards. So I did that for a couple months and uh, and had a blast. Got to explore Japan a little bit. Every time I had a shot, again, was doing the same thing. Every time I had time going out, try to eat at whatever place I could, discover new flavors, meet new people. I ended up making a great connection with a guy who was three Michelin star chef in Tokyo. And... Uh, was ended up being one of the best relationships that ever happened to me because it introduced me to uh, my head chef and my partner Nozomu Abe, who uh, actually partnered with me to open a real sushi restaurant. A real the, one, one of the one of the actual real ones. One of the actual real ones that actually does it the exact same way as the guy Jiro did it, which is amazing, which is insane. And you know, we have created our own little version of Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's uh, little tasty video that got like 30 million views on YouTube and an eater video that got another 15 million views. So, you know, our, our process is well documented and it's, it's, uh, it's really the right way of doing things. And that, I guess that's for a later point in the story, but yeah, then I, I ended up coming back from Japan and I worked at, uh, OTC for Mike Sullivan and spent some time working at GG's when GG's was still cool. And, uh, <laughs> That was a, that's good. I like I like that. It was yeah. cool for like two years. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, no, it was cool for like two years. I remember I used to go there often. And Mushroom it, buns and yeah, and then coke. it took a hard nosedive. Hard. It was a hard nosedive, but yeah, it was cool for for a while. And the food was good. Oh, it was it was it was really avant garde at the time for what for Miami. You right, know, you're going back at the time when like Miami really had nothing. Right, and um, it had something, just not a lot of something. not a lot. Yeah. I was getting chewed out, you know, trying to be a server on the floor, dealing with like a bunch of fucking Hialeah people coming out and, you know, bitching me out and a bunch of idiots just giving me shit all day. At two in the morning. Two in the morning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I kind of, I got, I got axed for like standing up for a woman chef in the kitchen who had oh, just yeah? gotten bla- really badly berated by someone whose name is going to remain uh, unsaid, but I stood up for someone. Blonde guy? Nah, maybe. <laughs> um, I uh, I stood up for her and and ended up getting on the chop block because I stood up for someone treating a woman like shit in a kitchen. I was just not something that I was used to. Like, you know, you can bitch me out all you want. Like, I'm a grown ass man and I got tough skin, but like a mother of two, you know, like who's just trying her best to get by is, doesn't deserve to be. I don't care how you call me sexist or whatever, but I just have respect for women in a way that I think. Maybe I'm willing to bitch you out, but I'm not going to bitch, you know, someone who could be my mom out. 
Fair. And um, and that was kind of eye-opening for me at the time. And I ended up moving on, and I met Nicole Votano, who, who was my opening chef at Fuchs. And I basically had a feeling that she was trying to take a next step in her career. And I was trying to take my next step. And I uh, basically told her, listen, I want to open a restaurant. I love your food. Uh, I know I'm only 24, but I promise you that I'm going to be committed to this. And my goal is to get Michelin stars and be the best at what I do. And she believed in me and we went through the due diligence and trusted the process and ended up buying uh, Nemesis restaurant from uh, Micah Edelstein, who was a former top chef consultant, uh, top chef competitor, uh, competitor and uh, a friend of mine at the time. And I remember dining there and it kind of being like my date spot where I would bring girls. Yeah, I went and, there quite a few times. Yeah, it was sexy, you know. Yeah. It was like you walk in church overall, pews. Yeah, it was like yeah. actual, uh, which I still church. have in the restaurant. You do one of them, yeah, at the entrance. I sanded it down and made it look. Oh yeah, I, I do remember that. Yeah. But. Um, but yeah, and you know, you would be walking over homeless people like they were landmines to get into a restaurant and go spend a hundred bucks on dinner and a bottle of wine. Yep, it was a very unique thing at the time. You know, the corner bar was just starting to kind of be a thing. <sighs> I've been there, you know, a handful of times. At that, I've time. been there way more than a handful of times that I'd like to mention. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think any... at the time it was still relatively innocent. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Right. Whenever a place closed at eight in the morning, you know there's a problem. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we ended up uh, we ended up getting like I think I paid like a hundred grand for the keys at the time, which now kind of seems like in COVID times a bad deal, but I guess pre-COVID times was a good deal. Uh, and I everything inherited... in perspective, like you know, you look back twenty twenty vision, you're like maybe I should have like. I, get, I feel I understand that feeling. Yeah, but I was able to basically uh, inherit a fully functioning restaurant. You know, I got Which everything rare. from the stove to the oven to the refrigerators. All the refrigerators are still intact at the restaurant. My Blodgett oven that she bought used it was oh. like a 1992. Blodgetts are good, man. I have yeah. two of them. Those things rip, man. Yeah, they're good. I've had like a couple issues with them two times over six years, and had had immediate support from them, and they gave me the pieces, fixed them up. She's my old faithful. And then, yeah, you know, I swapped out stove, and I I did some some redecorating, and built a new bar, and. You know, over the course of the last several years, I've obviously added and added and added and made the place more and more cozy. But uh, that kind of was three years, uh, sorry, six years ago. And I opened in 2000, early 2015. And, um, and then we got immediately, the place blew up. After a year, Nicole rode out and I was forced to try to pivot. And that's when I benefited from Michael Schwartz. Basically, just chopping everyone and anyone that was at Cypress Room. I don't know about chopping, but chopped a lot, and a lot of people walked away. Yeah, a lot of people walked. Chopped the, the top two heads, and then the, the rest of them walked. Right. I'll right. put it that way. Yeah. And and I was just – I kind of got a lot of heat from him for it, which I think we made up since then. But He'll be fine. Uh, I was able to just pick up a couple free agents you know, yeah. that were ready, willing, and able, and Roel, our mutual bro. Yep. Came in and rode in on his white horse and saved the day. And I could only envision Roel on a re- on a white horse, right? Angus <laughs> right. <laughs> Khan on a white horse with Brian in tow. Yeah, with a cheeseburger. In yeah, <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah, and so we ended up saving the day and refocused the concept and 
brought it to the standard that I was proud of. And he kind of set me off, uh, set me afloat and made me feel comfortable operating my restaurant again. And, and that was a really big turning point in the Fuchs career. And then halfway through my Fuchs career, I, well, during the whole time I had been working on the Sushi Nas project, I guess even since before Fuchs was a project, halfway through that I opened Sushi Nas about now two and a half, three years ago. And that opened to immediate success. We got a Michelin star in the first three months or four months of opening. Uh, got named best sushi restaurant in the United States by Bloomberg. Uh, number one sushi restaurant in New York by New York Magazine. Uh, pretty much all the accolades that you could ever wish for and collected uh, a whole bunch of experience and street cred and new familiar friends and faces who are going to end up being really valuable in my life and in my growth. And Sushi Naz was able to repeat the Michelin star for a second year in a row. And we were really pushing for two, if not three. We had just gotten uh, two stars in Wine Spectator, two cups in Wine Spectator this year for our list that had over a thousand indications, sake and wine. I built a really crazy wine program and the restaurant just kept kind of just going on this like upward trajectory and the sales kept getting getting better and the wait list kept getting bigger and and then we got hit by covid as did everybody and uh we had to pivot we started figuring out you know what we could do and how we could survive obviously being an eight seat 14 seat if you want to get specific about it but 14 seat counter style dining restaurant in new york city was pretty scary. Mm -hmm. We had never done takeout. We had never done delivery. We had like a decent catering business that was like slightly built into the operation, but was for the large part kind of abandoned because people wanted Chef Nas and Chef Nas had a job. So right. uh, we kind of, after like closing down, Chef Nas got COVID like March 15th, as soon as he got COVID. I got really sick and I got really scared and we shut the restaurant. We paid the whole staff two full weeks of uh, their salaries and just kind of told everybody, you know, like, here's what we can do. Let's have, have everybody on ice and hope, you know, we come up with some way to make this work. And when Nas came back from his quarantine, uh, kind of feeling re-energized, we started doing takeout and we started kind of selling these uh, salmon and tuna chirashi bowls. Mm -hmm which we were putting in these kind of like whatever cheap looking plastic canister plastic containers that weren't very cool or you know very exciting and i remember having given a person whose opinion i really value uh dinner and he kind of like sent it back to me and was like you know what the fuck is this like it's not sushi naz sushi naz is the best sushi restaurant in america you know it's not some takeout sushi joint and if you are going to be takeout sushi joint you make sure you do it great so I kind of sat down with Nas and my brother and I told them, you know, guys, got to figure out a way to uphold the Sushi Nas brand values and give the experience that people are used to if we are going to do this. If not, you know, we might as well just, you know, pack it up, mm -hmm. call it a day. So we started um, getting this really cool high-end packaging and diversifying the offerings and started creating some cool different roles. You know, we made a lobster roll sushi roll with a homemade bouillabaisse we made a really nice king crab roll with a homemade uh, anchovy sauce we started doing you know different kinds of futomakis and bara chirashis and 
all these different hand roll kits and uni kits and little sooner or later you know little did you know we were doing like pretty much the same sales numbers that we were doing pre-covid in the middle of a lockdown right which was pretty crazy and uh for like a couple months there during the summer we were getting catering requests every day in the hamptons and in connecticut and upstate new york and just started going to people's homes and basically delivering the sushi naz experience to your home and uh that kind of led us into where we are today we had a little we had a little um chance at indoor dining for six weeks and mm. made the best of it and got to get back to what's felt like normal for a little bit and during that time uh the bakery next door to the restaurant unfortunately for them closed and the landlord who was our shared landlord told us listen i have the space and give it to you for relatively cheap. Uh, if you guys want to move your delivery takeout operation into this space, I'm happy to do it for you. And you guys could have, uh, you know, we could have a mutually beneficial deal where, you know, you guys are here short term. If you want to stay, you can stay. If you want to leave, you can leave. And Nas and I and my brother had always talked about the idea of finding a way to have like a fish butcher shop. Right. Find a way to move our product, uh, which is relatively exclusive and pretty much all from Japan or what isn't from Japan is from America, but treated using Nas's different kinds of aging, curing techniques that are kind of like proprietary to him, which you mm. can't find anywhere. And we built a, a, what we're calling now Nas Market, which just opened a couple weeks, three weeks ago now, which is basically our fish market, fish butcher shop that sells fish by the pound, as well as uh, a front for our casual sushi concept. So. We've had that ripping now, and that's been really cool for the Sushi Nas brand, and mm. it's helped us uh, kind of tap into another market, not have to spend 500 bucks to come and experience the, the Sushi Nas experience. You go in there and spend 50 bucks and leave really happy with some killer fish, and that's kind of where Sushi Nas stands today. Uh, you, you spoke about Sushi Nas during the thing. Tell me about, because we spoke a little bit before we were recording, about the process of Fuchs during all yeah. this too, yeah. and how and how and why you decided to shut down Fuchs finally, yeah, and so just do a pop up because you're doing currently yeah, a pop up. We've been doing pop ups. It's been it was uh, March, January to March was my best year over year, ninety day period. Me too. By like thirty <laughs> percent. Yeah, me too. Fuck. I was on pace to just blow any anything out of the water i thought i was actually gonna uh, be able to take a paycheck me year. too man yeah i was like fucking ready to laugh my way to the bank until this shit hit actually yeah. believe it or not until like when i closed i still had a line out the door well that's good that's because like, people like the product in the neighborhood and we were doing like 100 covers on the tuesday it was just it was madness and uh i, I had to close and I tried to do different things. I tried to get inspired by some of the people who I look up to, like Dan Barber at Blue Hill, and tried to put my team to work and do these cool different food boxes, pork boxes, beef boxes, pasta boxes, kind of meal kit type things. And that was okay. You know, we sold a few, but not enough to pay the bills. And delivery was okay but again you know not enough to pay the bills especially not when you're giving someone 30 percent. yeah especially not when you're doing that and uh and uh, after after finally the government decided to show up yep where i think we were all pretty jazzed up about 
uh, kind of a little bit upset that they couldn't figure out how to roll it out in the right way because I ended up spending all the money in a way that I didn't even need to spend it because mm. they ended up changing the rules. But by the time they changed the rules, I'd spent all the money. Right. Trying to abide by the rules. Right. So, you know, they obviously dropped the ball on that front. But, you know, at least they gave us a shot. And I tried to open. And basically, like, right after I opened, we got hit with uh, BLM riots in the neighborhood. They started, you know, blowing up cop cars and tear gassing the restaurants and basically uh, mandatory shutting us down because there was, like, legitimate threats. How many days in a row were you mandatorily shut down because of riots? 10 out of 20 days we were mandatory (laughs) shut down. And as you know, like, shutting down one day when you're supposed to be open and you have people on salary is obviously not even fun, let alone 10. Right. When you're reeling off of having been closed for three months. Right. So that was kind of just like the last straw for me. I, I got tear gas one night and I was just like, I have enough with this. Uh, I got to find a way to stick around because I know that I have something valuable here and something that's financially manageable in normal times. Um, and I got government support that paid rent for a while. So at that point, it was just about finding a way to take care of my staff if I could. And if not, you know, just finding a way to survive. So I, I started doing some talent scouting, and in came Rowell, riding on his white horse again. God, what a horse. Right? Jeez. And he saved the day, and he introduced me to these guys, Little Laos, Curtis, and Sacone, that were doing a really cool job selling Laosian, Laosian food out of uh, this place on uh, 60th Street and 2nd Ave. And I walked into the kitchen one day and had a couple of his pieces of food and watched him work and immediately knew that this guy like was just not getting the love that he deserved and I gave him and his wife an opportunity to come and use my kitchen as a delivery only takeout ghost kitchen and it worked really well for two months paid my bills made him some money made a cool friendship that you know I actually ate there today for lunch and very excited for their success and and after a couple months of them ripping it uh, I took the kitchen back and did a few caterings that I had planned for the month of September. And then in November, I started another pop-up with a girl who was one of my first managers at Fuchs, Lena Gujan. And uh, during COVID, she was slinging pasta sauces uh, by the courts, like little pasta kits in L.A. when she got let off her job at the Nomad. And uh, she built a really cool little following. And I was kind of like insta-messaging with her the whole time, watching her, and she was watching me and... One day we decided uh, that we wanted to do something together, and at that point I really had nothing to lose, and I needed to create a you know cost-efficient, more uh, limited version of what we were doing at Fuchs. And Fuchs, we always had a lot of pasta and wine, and we were pasta wine focused, but it was never our, it's never like what we really identified with. Natural wine and pasta, wine always identified with, but we ended up doing that. And we've been running that for about two months now. It's been a hit. People love it. The pasta is ridiculously delicious. Gained 10 pounds in the first three weeks. Nice. Yeah, really bad for the gut. My girlfriend, my girlfriend almost dumped me. You know, pop rigatoni la vodka straight to the fucking veins. I would do that. Yeah. I'm into that. Extra cheese. Extra cheese. Why not? Um, And uh, and that's been running. And that's running through January 1st. And uh, January 1st, I have a very, very, very exciting concept that I've created that I've been working hard on for the last few months. 
that uh, I can't yet divulge on. Oh, we can't divulge. Listen, Pancom Podcast is where people divulge information. Can't divulge yet. Oh, man. This is horseshit. But you'll have a follow-up. Horseshit. I That's can let I- you know that it's going to be the best of what it is in the city. Okay. In that very... It's like, after the commercial break, we'll get more from David Fouquet. <laughs> Jeez, fuck. Yeah, I gotta... I gotta yeah. Got to save some. some I know we got to give something for the new times to actually write an article about. Right, otherwise Zach is going to get really mad at me. Nah, I mean Zach is okay. It's all the other ones and all the other places that I can't stand. But, um, so that's good. I mean, what's not sticking around? That's what matters. That is that is definitely what matters. And I think through twenty twenty and twenty twenty one is like the people who make it through the the storm and that can weather the storm is the most important thing. Yes, because. If you're trying to make money, you're shit out of luck. If you're just trying Maybe to survive. Maybe 1% of the people. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, we, Florida, is in a much better place, at least business-wise, yes. than a lot of other places in the country um, because other places have just been shut down. Right. We are not shut down. We are operating, and uh, you had dinner here tonight. Yeah, it was fucking fire. Thanks. <laughs> and, um, you know... we. We're, we continue to do our thing, and hopefully we can continue to do our thing. We've talked about this before over dinner, privately, but the Michelin star thing was a big thing for you. Yeah, it was a big thing for me. And we've talked about it at length because it's also a big thing for me. Right. Um, how did that feel? Wow. That was next level. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing about the Michelin star was not as much – the fact that I got it, but that my mom was able to be there when I got handed my Michelin star. Amazing. She ended up passing away like three months after. So um, to have her be able to have Danielle actually was there and like tell her, you know, how proud he was of her son and of her and both her son. Because my brother is my partner at Sushinaz. And I think he might be one of the youngest Michelin star recipients ever. He was 24 Amazing. when he got the Michelin star. Or 25. Um, and... Uh, I remember that day I got to shake Thomas Keller's hand. I got to shake Jose Andres's hand. I got to shake all these crazy people's hands and just like be in a room and like have my name up there with like some of my idols. And uh, that was obviously a life career defining moment. I I remember my girlfriend picked me up in the airport. I couldn't invite her to the dinner because I had like only limited amount of tickets to, to invite people. And she picked me up from the airport with like nice like Michelin man sign. Nice. It was it was really special, and I I, uh, I still to this day cherish that. But it was really cool, and it was really inspiring. But when you get the taste of one Michelin star, it makes you even want more. Oh no, I mean you know I can I can only imagine. I I often talk about probably the days that I've had too many of these cocktails that I'm having now. It's like if I have one, I'm just gonna like wrap it up. I'm like I'm fucking out of here, Miami native. Cuban American kid, we can wrap up that one star. I'm good, but I know myself, and I know that I'll be like, but two sounds real yeah, nice. Sounds real nice. Yeah, you know, like two sounds real nice. I mean, the goal is always one. Um, so, but and like I told you when we had dinner that day, I mean, I can't tell you congratulations enough times. Thank you so much, brother. And I haven't actually been to Sushinaz. I have. I've only been to New York once in the last uh, two years. Um, and we ate at, uh, what was it? It was something stupid, like 14 places in wow. 27 hours. Savage. I know. 
It was myself, Justin, and Gio, the possibly the poppy himself, and we just destroyed New York in like just 20 Next time you come, we'll we'll hook you up. I know. I mean, it's obviously been on my list. I just haven't been back to New York since. So (coughs) hopefully, you know, New York restaurants open again one day. I mean, it's it's incredible to see kind of like the trajectory of, of places like New York because it's not just they're shut down, obviously, for health concerns, but... If What's, I really tell you how I feel about this, I might have, like, the NYPD on my back. I mean, listen, I've had cops show up at, at this establishment because of the shit that I say on here. So don't be shocked, sir, by the things that end up in the ether by Pancom Podcast. But I will tell you that um, my feeling is that putting people out of business with no plan seems absolutely incredibly irresponsible in in so many states and like you can outdoor dine in a state that's negative six degrees right now like how the fuck and you know it was and it was insulting to expect to expect to use that as like a scapegoat like nobody wants to eat outside when it's negative six degrees i know by the way people are building these fucking pods yeah that are like more dangerous than eating in a properly ventilated restaurant are they yeah yeah i don't even the the worst part about it is people are spending like tens of thousands of dollars building these pods and then today we had like a foot snowstorm and every single person had to take them down like it's just like come on adding insult to injury i i think about it and i i feel for those communities so much because i know how hard we all work you know and like how special those communities are i had to fire 10 people three days ago man 10 people who are like my most loyal 10 of my most loyal employees well, 10 people that help you get that start. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You know, my dishwasher has been with me since day one and as a kid with cancer and came from Jamaica four years ago with hopes to be able to put his son through Sloan Kettering. By the way, best paid dishwasher in the United States. Guy works 65 hours a day and collects more overtime than anybody you've ever met. If he wants to move to Miami, I have positions open. <laughs> <laughs> I might take you up on it. Orlando, <laughs> he, he was a sheriff in oh, Jamaica and he's the man. And I had to let the poor guy go, you know, it, was, it broke my heart, like, to know that, like, you know, this guy's not going to be able to put food on the table for his son. And, like, you know, at the end of the day, not that he's not smart or can't get other jobs, but it's hard, man. Like, yeah. everyone's, not, like, if this guy's unemployed, you know, it's... I saw a stat today of, and it could be wrong. I'm sure Nick will fact check this sometime. Um, out of every five unemployed people, one of which is a restaurant employee. Oh, I would have thought even maybe. It's a it's a huge community, huge you know. Community. It's a huge community of people. I guess if you count all the tiers of it, yeah. I mean, you know, and forget about like from fine dining all the way to fast food, you know. And, and this shuts down so many people and so many things, and that's why, honestly, like, and and I see a lot of uh, editors and chiefs of all kinds of publications saying like all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, they're still pulling a fucking paycheck, and our employees are not. Right. And that's the, that is the truest statement I think I've ever said on this podcast. Because, um, like, they, I don't know, I'm, I have Twitter for three reasons. Sports, uh, food, what's the third? I don't remember what the third. Laughing at Donald No, Trump. politics, because I don't, I don't, I don't watch TV. So the, those are the three things, right? And the food portion of it is just all inundated with people, like, almost shaming restaurants for being open. 
And I look at him and say, what the fuck else are we supposed to do? Yeah. I, I, there's no uh, – there's Roel on his white horse is not going to give us paychecks. No. You know, and uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump on their white horse are not going to give us any more fucking paychecks either. I'll tell you, though, who does want to give us a paycheck. Who is that? City of Miami and Miami-Dade County. Yeah. Hey, they put out a couple grants that I'm on. I know, I know, and I'm, I'm, we're on the grants, too. Yeah. I can tell you that that's more money that they've put on the table, whether it ends up in my bank account or not, that even New York State has put on the table. But, yeah, man, it's, like, pretty crazy when you think about it that states like New York and California are, like, not giving any support to restaurants and just leaving them on an island to die. But Gavin Newsom was at the French Laundry four yeah, weeks ago exactly. and having dinner. Having a blast. Having a blast. Yeah. And, and Nancy and Pelosi still gets her hair done, even Florida, though everything's uh, everybody closed. Everybody loves to laugh at Florida as a laughing stop because Florida, you know. I mean, but at least they're taking care of their businesses. Or, or trying to. Trying. There's The thing is that there's no... You can no, only do so much. I know. There's no easy answer to this. No. There, there is no easy answer. There's no, like, solution. There's no, like, cut and dry. We need to do this to be successful, to, to get rid of this problem, and also survive. And then the other coin, you have people like, well, you just need to give us money. Oh, okay. So we need to give you money. But I don't know about you. I know for me, a lot of people that were in the industry that are now not in the industry because they're collecting unemployment are not coming back to work either. So there's there's a lot of difficulties of the whole situation. There's no cut and dry answer. There's no, like, uh, positive to it. No. The only positive is, like, you were here. There was people here today that were dining. We're doing all we can to keep everyone safe. Yeah, and you guys are lucky. You have this nice, beautiful outdoor area. 150%. And I've said that. And by the way, for the record, I have closed indoor dining this whole time. I've taken it upon myself, which you have maybe a little bit of bigger space here. Like Fuchs is 926 square feet. Small, yeah. And I have, you know, four front of the house employees and three back of the house employees at the moment. I mean, I'm, I'm four times the size of Fuchs. Right. So, and even the restaurant next door. And it's like... We're just incredibly fortunate to have such a gigantic patio. Yeah, it's huge. And, and but even, we have that too, thank God, which has allowed me to responsibly close indoor dining. But you know, right. trust me, we all want to the, what's best for our staff, you know, like right. the, and for our guests. The last right. thing I want is to find out that, you know, Fuchs was a super spreader event. Right. Uh, some guy came and gave COVID to the whole restaurant and gave COVID to everybody who he came in contact with. So we're obviously doing our best, you know, sanitizer on every table, opening the doors, putting in the HEPA filters, you know, uh, masked up servers, gloved up servers, spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on masks and hundreds of dollars on PPE equipment, you know, like and gloves. everyone wants to be careful. You know? I know because everyone we're wants to clean, keep their the job. Way, like, yeah, everyone's keep their job, but like we also knew before COVID how important it was to be sanitary. So like people, yeah, of course you're gonna have like your restaurants that don't give a fuck and are just disgusting and dirty. But like anybody, anyone who works in this business with any sort of self-respect understands the idea of the highest quality personal hygiene. We're For in the sure. service business, you know. We take food service tests and manager tests, and we need to know all the different things and all the reasons why we have to do things a certain way. So. It's kind of insulting to the industry to to just kind of just assume that we're just well. Not it, fall it's a hard it's a hard move to assume that we are the problem, right? And uh, you know, I I go to the gym almost daily or every other day or whatever it may be, and it's like I see the people in there and I see the people operating those gyms, and I'm just like, man, we're the problem. Yeah, it, like, and and not just that, just overall, like, how about airplanes? 
fuck me sideways. You mean the people that got the biggest bailout of anyone possible that doesn't need and to pay still jamming back 90% planes. of it? Every yes. seat is full. I know. Do you want another cocktail? I'm good. I've got to drive home. So it's like I, I look at it and it's just like we, we employ so many people. And then at the same time, you're also going to shut us down with no plan for the future. Also employ people who probably can't get other jobs. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I know for me personally, like, maybe I can get another job, but I don't really want another job. I don't and, want another job. And it's like, um, and I know a lot of people that this is their profession. This yeah. is what they do. Maybe the common person wouldn't think that this is an actual profession, but it is an actual profession that people take years to get very good at. And go to school for Go to school for, I, I mean, there's le- there's layers to it. Oh, yeah. It's like an onion. Lots of layers. Lots. Right? And right now, I think the onion in lots of cities is fucking rotten. Oh, because yeah. they're just casting these people aside and saying, and is there rent relief? Is there stimulus checks by mandated by the state? Is there, there's, I don't see any of those things. So, also, and going back to my Twitter tirade, all these people that write about food are so easily, uh, I guess, motivated to speak poorly about what we do, but also equally won't uh, offer any solutions. And they won't, um, I don't know if they're going to donate their paycheck for your dishwasher that's out of work in New York that's been one of your best employees since day one. They're not going to do that either. And that's why... We're in this really fucked state of the world right. because it's like we uh, people can have all these opinions, but at the end of the day, we gotta we have to work, we have to make money, we have to we have to do something gotta to get survive. Her done. That's that's to put it lightly, yeah. Gotta get her done. So I don't know. I mean, my restaurant group is called We All Gotta Eat. Oh, I, I like that. That's good. Yeah. I like that. So we all gotta I eat. Came up with that during COVID. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I like it. It's a line from a Grateful Dead song. You I'm say, not shocked by that. You say to live in, we all got to eat. Yeah. I'm not shocked that you nice. picked a Grateful Dead lyric for, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's for me, it's like, it is so indicative. You know, it's like, we all got to do what we got to do. And we got to take care. You know, this is, this is my living and I got to do what I got to do. And you got to, I got to, you got to respect that. I think that unfortunately we're in this rut. And I keep reading all these sad, uh, you know, articles of restaurant business being doomed forever. Yeah. We're, you know, losing loyal and faithful workers. We're never going to work, want to work in the restaurant business. You know, I'd love to think that that's untrue, but it is going to definitely just take out the legs of a lot of really good independent (laughs) operators. Like Miami hasn't seen like the full effect of the COVID reckoning yet. I think that like we'll definitely see a series of closures probably by the end of the season this year. Cause I think that, you know, no matter what the perception is, you know, oh, everyone's moving to Miami and New York is moving down and New York, California is moving down. Not enough. Well, I, I don't look, I don't look at, if, uh, I, I don't look at that as like a saving grace. No, it's not. Uh, you can't 70% of Miami beaches tourism is international tourism. And right. there's zero of that right now. Right. So, you know, you do the numbers, you do the math. Maybe the places that were killing it pre-COVID are still going to do well. But if you were on the fringe or you were maybe just barely getting by, you're probably not going to make it. Right. Um, in New York, I'm looking to expand my empire because I, unfortunately, you know, with other people's demise comes opportunity. 
and you know being at the end of the day a survival of the fittest as i think darwin once said we have to do what we got to do to survive and if that means you know taking advantage of the situation if you're able to you got to do what you got to do and i'm seeing more and more restaurant opportunities for second generation pre-existing institutions places yeah. that weren't just getting by Places that were fucking killing Crushing it. Crushing it, yeah. That were doing, you know, five, six, eight, ten million dollars in sales in a year that are just on the market for free. Right. All you have to do is sign a lease, albeit at 50% of whatever the price was pre-COVID, just knowing that, you know, you had what it takes to last the storm. Right. And that's something that I've never seen in this business. You know, proof is I paid a hundred grand for a set of keys that were probably worthless six years ago. Right. You know, today, that same deal would come for zero dollars in a Correct. place like New York, which could have never happened six years ago. So you know, I think, I, I think um, to your point, like the idea of there being opportunity now is very factual, and what I tell people like you and I that are in the industry. I said, don't get the big googly eyes, right? You still got to be very fucking smart, right? Because every real estate person on the other side of the table, they're going to wine and dine you. They're going to fucking romanticize you. They're going to all that stuff. As soon as you sign that paper, they're going to want their fucking rent check every month. So sign a good lease. Get a good fucking lawyer. Make sure that you do your due diligence. Understand that romance is very different than business. Oh, yeah. I'm a very romantic person. I've spent more money on lawyers negotiating deals and leases than I've spent on anything else for the last five years. And that's what money well spent. Oh, yeah, dude. Those guys have saved me millions. Saved you. Look at that. That's amazing. Thank you for someone else saying that other than me. Saved you millions. You know why? Because... They give you this like gift in a fucking in all wrapped in beautiful big. And you always want to rip their throats out because yeah. they're the ultimate deal breakers, right? But it's like they're doing you a fucking service. But that that lease, it's gotta be. You have to look through it Airtight. through a fine. I just got off the phone. I've been doing a deal in L.A. for Sushi Nas for uh, it's been almost a year and a half. That I've been working this deal, and uh, right before COVID, we were like yay closed from signing and then COVID hit and the whole thing got shut down the whole project got paused and i kept following up and following up and all throughout COVID, you know they were telling me you know like hey you know we'll get back to you we'll get back to you and finally like when i stopped getting back to them they got back to me and and we started the conversation again and even when the when they give you exactly what you asked for it's not exactly what you asked for. I know. There's always a thing. I spent two hours just destroying these guys on the other end. I, I swear this guy probably, when he sees that I'm calling the, the landlord or the landlord's rep, he's probably, it's the worst part of his day. Because he knows that I'm about to microanalyze every last Amen. word and go down every single red line Good. in a way that probably most people are just happy to get the deal. Even the sweetest deal ain't that sweet. That's right. There's always some guy in the back trying to stab right. you in the side of the neck and put you down for good. So I'm I'm really grateful that you said that lawyer thing for anyone who's trying to be a restaurant tour out there, you know. And and, it, and it's just like and I tell people all the time, it hurts to spend it, but got to do it. You have to do it and you have to be patient. 
that patience thing because everyone wants everything at one time. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I want to open my restaurant. I've been thinking about this restaurant for years. Like, it's going to be great. The food's going to be great. And that's what you think about. But all the other things you don't realize could fuck you so hard down the road. And you're never... I mean, the restaurant business is, you know, week to week. It's peaks and valleys. Every day changes. Dude, I negotiated the most ridiculous thing today. Concept of parking spots for some a project that I'm going to open for another two years. Amazing. The question of... How many parking spots are my are my staff going to get? How much am I going to have to validate for parking? You know, something so silly, you, know, you don't realize it, but if you're validating parking for all your guests at, you know, $15 per guest and you're serving 50 guests a day, you're still talking about $750 a day in parking. You add that over the course of a year, you're talking about $200,000 a year in parking. I could Eight buy, fucking men. I could God buy myself I love that. Buy myself a brand new Ferrari with that money. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, people look at it as like, well, it's only, you know, 50 bucks a day. <laughs> okay, so what's 50 bucks a day times all the days in the year? Well, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. Well, no fucking shit. Yeah. Do you want to lose that on your bottom line? No, thanks. Oh, no, I don't. <coughs> then, man, so you have to renegotiate. You have to go back to the table. You have to tell them no. No. And, and it's just like people... I told them, I said, that 150000 means a lot more to me than it means to your billionaire developer ass. Absolutely. But they get so many people that don't look at things like that. Yeah. They, they get so many... And you know, parking is a good one. You know, like we were in the final stages of negotiating a deal for the end of next year. And it's like, I mean, man, this deal has been raked over the combs, I'm telling you, at least 40 times. Yeah. And I'm okay. Do it another 20 times. Do it another 20 times. Give me the deal that I want. You know why? Because right now I'm plenty busy and I'm okay. So if they, I need to wait another six, seven, eight months to get the deal that I want, then I'm so okay if they really want us to do this deal. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's correct. It's a 15, 10, 15 year lease you're signing. It's not a yeah. 10, 15 month lease. Well, but that this is also the problem. And, and it's important that you mention the fact that like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunity now, but I think if a lot of the uh, industry starts to jump in on that idea, like, and I've seen it and I've said it and people don't believe me, but they're going to give you the short and sweet lease, right? Here's a two-year lease for like a fraction, right? Here's a two-year lease, but then the option goes back to regular. Oh, does it? The option goes back. To, uh, what's regular? I was like, oh, it's 85 bucks a foot plus uh, triple net. Oof. Oh, man. $85 a foot plus triple net. Yeah, but I'll be fine by that time. How do you know you're going to be fine by that time? What if we get COVID-22? Right. What if, uh, did you put a clause in the lease about COVID? Did you put a clause in the lease about a pandemic? Did you put a clause in the lease about, I mean, I can go on forever, forever. And I think. That's when you start to lose people because they, they romanticize the situation. And I know it so well. And yeah, we because talk- people want it. You can't blame people for wanting it. I know. And that's what I was saying. Like, I understand it so well only because fucking five years ago I was in the same boat. And I romanticized the situation. And I was like, man, I'll just do whatever it takes to just get this deal done. And I fucked myself six ways to Sunday getting there. But we have survived. Everyone's got to get fucked one. Yeah, I mean, you know. You only learn if you got fucked once. Now, in my life, I'd much rather just fuck the real Fool me once. Shame on me. That's right. That's right. I think we're at a good place to start winding down, Nick. 
We do. Uh, we we start doing. You're the man, Belchon. I love talking to you. Yep. And thanks for supporting Fuchs and Stay One too. Always, really, always. And I look forward to. You were one of the first and few chefs at the very beginning who were like, you know what, this kid's actually doing something cool. <laughs> I mean, you're you're actually like an uh, an intelligent, good dude. Thanks, bro. You know, so it's like uh, to find people like minded. I think it's tough. And, you know, we, we've had uh, dinner outside of just talking about work. And, and I tell you all the time, it's just like, I feel like sometimes I'm on an island, yeah. right? Because I'm so, I'm so rough and callous when I approach business. But that's the part you need to be rough and callous about. Mm. Forget about every, every Be romantic. Be loving. With your girlfriend. The food is what I'm talking about. But, yeah, no, you're right. Well, yeah, with your fun. girlfriend also. Um. But the business end, you need to be a fucking shark. You oh, know yeah. why? Because you're in a pool with a ton of fucking sharks. I don't want to get eaten up. No, and I'm I, I'm not going to get eaten up. So, you know, that leads us to a place that it's just a lot of mutual respect and love. And I, I, I don't know what you're going to release on January 1st. And I don't know who you're going to tell is about it, it. Is this the part where we do the OnlyFans thing and <laughs> we start making out? We're not, we're not Bella Thorne, right? People aren't dropping serious coin for this. But... Uh, maybe OnlyFans 2021. I'm pretty good looking, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> wow. You're selling this OnlyFans subscription really I'm hard. I'm telling you. Dude, I'm telling you. I, I think, told you I about think, my cousin, man. I think, I think we could get his, we could yeah, employ we his cousin. We can employ his cousin to be our agent. Yeah. And OnlyFans Pancom Podcast I'll 2021. Tell him, I tell him I got his first client. Everybody, Done. Everybody's got to start He's got somewhere. a lot of tattoos and cornrows. Gabagool. Hey. We're here. Uh, but did you have something that you wanted to come back with after the fact? Uh, think about that a little bit. Think about a question that you want to throw out at the very end. But right now, we're going to do all our regular wind-down things. Later on, we will record a final question. And in order to get mm. David Fouquier's... What, for up? Patreon? Yeah, for Patreon. Oh, fuck. Have a, have a question for Patreon. All right, I got it, I got it. You, so there is a question. What's Patreon. the question What's the question you're going to ask? Don't answer it. But what's the question? Let the people no, know. I, uh, people have to pay for this, right? Yes. They have to, well, but tell them what the question is. They have to pay for his answer. Um, oh, you don't have a question. You I lied. don't. I don't. You all lied. Right, let's do all the, all the things. Okay. There will be, there will be extra content. Uh, Patreon.com slash Uh if you want to get all the stuff that comes after this. But right now, we're doing our regular wind-down stuff. This is time for our parting recommendations, where everybody recommends... A thing. It could be literally anything, uh, a meal, a movie, a book, something that's not yours, because we'll do shameless plugs later. Yeah. So anything at all that you want to recommend, it could be a, 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 a trip, a restaurant, a documentary. People have recommended all kinds of things. An OnlyFans account. An, your favorite OnlyFans <laughs> account. Uh, the, the, the recommendation we always refer to to let people know just how you know wide the range is is that uh, Joaquin Gonzalez... Uh, when he was on, <laughs> oh recommended my God, I can't believe you're bringing this that up. if you must use a condiment to masturbate, <laughs> the best one is mayonnaise. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Coast words out of my mouth. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's to give you a sense. I don't know if you want to go first. You can, or if you want to give yourself some sure. time to think about it. Sure. I've been, uh, I think I've been, uh, I recommend that in life for me, the most important thing that I've ever done to travel as lame as that sounds uh i recommend 
that whenever the world permits, you do everything you can to take that trip you always wanted to take. Yeah. Go see that place that you always dreamed of. You know, give yourself, give yourself that gift because something good's going to come of it. I don't know if you're going to meet someone that will be your forever friend or come up with some idea that might be your million dollar idea. Just go out and fucking live, man. This pandemic showed us we oh, could have our man. liberties stripped away from us any second. And as lame as that sounds, like, I can't wait. I was lucky to travel a lot during the beginning parts of the pan or the middle parts of the pandemic. Taking a bit of a break right now, but I can't wait to go back to Japan. And I'd love to go for the first time. Yeah. Conceptualize my next sushi naz and, and just <laughs> get back. Ah. Oh. This song, I have to recommend something. Go for else. it. Go to Burning Man. Oh, Burning Man. That's right. David is this a big song Burning Man. My uh, song of Burning Man. Was it? That's just so uh, perfect that it just. I was riding a bike and it was hot as fuck in the morning across the desert. It's called Burning Man. And, uh, and I started needing shade really badly. And there's no shade. And it's a desert. All of a sudden, I'm riding my bike, and this giant art bus starts driving past, creating this perfect shade for me as I cross the desert around nine in the morning, bumping this song. Oh, amazing! And I just cruise. I have a video, my girl and me just cruising on the bike, listening to this song. And this is a song that every time I hear it, just puts this big ass smile on my face. So. Oh, I love that. Well, it's on the Ariette playlist. There you go. We are open seven days a week, everyone. What do you have to recommend? Um, before I get into my recommendations, to double down on what you said, to travel. Beyond just traveling, I have taken a large p- portion of the year to learn things or uh, start to attempt to learn things that I've always wanted to. And uh, it could be music. It could be uh, whatever it may be. And I think that something that's more evident than ever through this year has been that we're not promised shit. So, I mean, take advantage of the time. Take advantage of the time. Take advantage of, like, uh, cheap flights. Whatever it may be. Like, I've always wanted to learn how to play the sax. I'm going to try. Wow. That's tough. Who are you telling? Wow. I'm aware. I would pay to see that. (laughs) No, no one's paying for anything. (laughs) In the dark, dark rooms of my apartment. So, you know, just pick uh, it up. Whatever it is, just do it. Yeah. And, and I've taken a, a large portion of the year to do That was things. actually my 2020 New Year's resolution is do something that you didn't ever do before. Yeah. For me, boxing was a big thing there. Like, I, you know. I uh, see you're kicking ass in the gym. I don't know about kicking ass. Maybe getting my ass kicked. But I am, I am there. Packing a punch. And just like, you know. The whole world of boxing and the art of boxing is yeah. You become that fit as a fiddle, bro. I don't know about fit as a fiddle, but I'm fitter than I used to be. Making me look like fuck. <laughs> so me look like shit. So I think in this year, it's just like uh, it's important to realize those things that you always wanted to do, just do them. And it doesn't mean making sourdough for Instagram. It means a lot of other things too. So, parting recommendations. Yeah. Uh, fuck. We just did this. I mean, maybe that's your recommendation, though. Learn a thing. He said go to places. You're saying learn a thing. I'm sure. Yeah, learn a thing. Um, Learn a thing is good. 
Um, Play the sax. We already we already talked about Sanzione subs, right? Yeah. I recommended that. Um, I would recommend Arbetter's uh, sauerkraut hot dog. Mm. Okay. Yeah, Arbetter's. It's on 87th and Bird. Yeah. 87th and Bird. I would recommend the Arbetter's sauerkraut hot dog mustard on the side because I'm a mustard on the side guy. And the chili cheese fries are exceptional. I also uh, would recommend, along with that, getting a uh, croqueta at La Floridita that's out very far. Do you know which one it is that's down south? By yeah. the Tamiami Airport. Yeah, yeah. Close to that croqueta only, I would say, uh, it shook me at my core. Wow. It did. Jeez. It shook me at my core. The only other croqueta to have that kind of uh, impact on me is Eileen's family's croqueta at Isla Canaria. Yeah. So um, I think maybe it's because they were out of croquetas and they, were, they made them fresh. But, man, it shook me to my core. And uh, we ordered four and I ate two of them. Were they ham and cheese croquetas? They were. They were just ham, ham, and they were they were fucking delicious. Wow! And it was crazy because it's in the middle of nowhere down there in like Kendall, like super deep West Kendall. Did you pick up a thing or two and nail it when you got home? No, I I didn't. Oh. I just I, I want to go back and eat more. We're not in the in research the, and development. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Research and development. So I would recommend those two things. Cool. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. If I had okay. to recommend uh, any food yeah, for anybody sure. out there, go to Little Laos. I know I mentioned them earlier. I had it for lunch again today. They're delicious. Recommend what to eat there. I do my classic order, beef jerky. It's like homemade beef jerky with like a nice spicy dipping sauce. Uh, crippy rice, mm. which is a very traditional Persian thing that they uh, – they kind of created when they were at Fuchs and they did their version of it. Cool. So it's like a nice, like crispy fried rice situation. Chicken wings. They got like a tamarind glazed chicken wing that's outstanding. Oh, man. I love tamarind so much. Oh, so good. So good. And um, their pork ribs are outstanding. Little kind of like riblets. Oh, I'm going to go like there. Break this down. And these like really good, like sweet tapioca <coughs> dumplings. I think if you hit those four, four, four or five items with a papaya salad, Wash it down with a beer lao. The best Asian food in town. I just went to Yakosan for uh, first time in a while. Yeah, always a good one. Still holds up. I mean, the try service, this one. You're the, gonna you're this, gonna thank me later. The service was absolute fucking trash, but the food was still very good. Yeah, they, these guys are pros. Yeah, the been, food was still very been doing good. Doing it for some time now. Yeah, I mean Yakosan is still like that that thing. Yeah, you know? it is. so. I'll leave it at that, Nick. Very good. All right. I'll make a recommendation. Do your recommendation. My one recommendation, because I'm still trying to make up with uh, for two episodes ago, so I'm going to be brief, because two episodes ago I went on forever. Uh, we've we've talked about, Mike, that uh, you know people may not peg you for a, a sci-fi fan. Uh, uh, I am a sci-fi fan. My equivalent is uh, people are often surprised to learn I'm a country music fan. Wow, the one music I can't stand. And I was on my way here. I was listening to uh, an old, old uh, in the sense that it's just not new. It's not like a, an old, old album, but the Garth Brooks album, Sevens. It's a very good album. Heady, heady shit. Garth, Sevens by Garth Brooks. 
what I love about it is that there is some like very, you know, I don't know if I'd call it heady, but, uh, you know, like very well written sort of, you know, profound music in there. And there's other stuff like Cowboy Cadillac, which is also very good. You listen to country music. I do. And this is why, because when because <sighs> when my mom used to drive me to school, she uh, wanted to put something on the radio where they're not. Cubans for Trump is also a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but this was she actually she actually didn't like country music either. But then she realized that the country music station was the only one that didn't have dirty jokes in the morning show. Uh so when she was driving me to school, it was like there was Power 96, and that wasn't an option, and there was, you know. Uh, and, of course, I ended up listening to all that shit anyway. But uh, but I ended up just being a really big Garth Brooks fan. Man. Nothing so, wrong with country music. I you got to <coughs> give it a chance. There's good stuff. I guess. I'll, send, a, I'll send you some things. I think send like, me some stuff. I, I can't wait to just some uh, of, some of it's like, not want to listen like, to it. Are you into blues? Yeah, blues is my thing. There's some, like, very bluesy country out there. Yeah, but blues and country are different. I didn't say it was the same. I said it was. But you can't bluesy. have bluesy country. It's sure either country or blues. Eh, you can have of course you can. Country. Oh man, what are you we're talking about, to dive about? Into a whole I'll send you a thing. I'll guys. send you some things. Hook me up. Nick. So anyway, that's <laughs> hook me up. Send that to David. That's also. the rec- That's the recommendation. It'll be on the playlist at Sushi Nas uh, next year. Shameless plugs. Just tell everybody where they can find you online. You and all your stuff. You can find me uh, Instagram at David Fuchs F O O Q S. Find my restaurants at Fuchs Miami, at Sushi Naz NYC. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find us. Shameless plugs, Michael Beltran. All the things. Very good. You can find him on all the things. And then <coughs> at Bangkong Podcast on all the social media things, DadeMag.com. Slash- I have to say, I was pretty jealous that this thing was like happening for a bunch of time and that I wasn't invited on it. So. The music? Hey. Big ups, Carluba. Thanks for the invite. Big ups, Carluba. So, yeah, I mean, I, actually, I think we had brought up with Carluba inviting you a few times. Low, and then he was kind of dragging his feet low, low. a little bit. And I think also he had brought it up with you. And, but you travel a lot more than yeah, most I of do, our I guests. Do, I do, I do. Most of the people we wanted to have on were, like, easier to pin down. Than right, right, right. right. Uh, a man of the world, David Fouquet. Yeah, what a, that, that should be the title of your book. Hey, a man of the world. Of the I world. like it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll Dave always Mag. be here com anytime you need me. Yeah. Slash Bancom Podcast. OnlyFans.com slash podcast. I love it. But actually, Patreon.com slash Dade Mag. All inquiries, uh, David at FuchsMiami.com. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'll be the talent search right there. Serious inquiries only, please. Yeah, uh, no, you got to be serious. And, uh, and that's it. And if you uh, are a Patreon person listening to this on Patreon, you can hear beyond this point. And whatever question it is that Mike Beltran has Fuck, I don't know. for David. Fucking it can be literally anything. It doesn't have to be a good question. Just a question. Okay. In in your experience mm. in Miami mm. and also having a, a place in New York, what are the fundamental differences between being a restaurateur in New York and being a restaurateur in Miami. That's actually a really good one. I got to take a leap. I knew you could do it. I got to take a leap.
That thump you just heard, that was my pen ass hitting the bottom of the table. <laughs> now on 1210 The Man, Romberg's pen ass hits yeah. the bottom of the table. That's going to be our 1210 The Man promo on like every episode. <laughs> it was fantastic.